Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and to sing, to be refreshed, to have our spirits lifted to come back to life, God. We thank you for your presence and for your word that speaks to us and speaks through us and and transforms who we are at our core, God. And so we ask that you would do that today. I pray for those who are present that your, your word would speak, for those who are online that your word would speak, God, for those listening to this on the podcast days from now that you would speak, God, and that we might live the life that you made us to live. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're at the very last week of our series that we've called Regrets of the Dead, taking a look at the top five regrets of people that they had on their deathbed. And this hospice nurse slash sociologist compiled this list together of her experience with people who were in that position. And she came up with the top five, which we've gone over over the last uh, five weeks. And if you haven't had the opportunity to listen to them, download the podcast, get on YouTube, go back and re-listen to them. But the top five regrets that she found were that people wish they had been more authentic in their life. They realized that All of us are going to be informed by some voice, and they recognize that the voices that they allowed themselves to be informed by were not the voices that, in the end of the day, they longed for, that led to the greatest expression of life. And so they lived a life based on other people's expectations and other people's ideas of what it meant to be human rather than who God had called them to be. The second regret was that they wished that they had not worked so hard, that people literally worked themselves to death and they realized at the end of the day that they were striving for some sense of identity or purpose or value and they recognized at the end of the whole time that value was in, set in stone. They didn't have to strive to prove how amazing they were. God had already declared that over their lives and so they just had to start living that out. The, second, the third regret that people had was that they wished that they had shared their emotions with people. Not that they had wished they would have just like vomited their feelings, but that they wished they would have shared what was true for them. When they had feedback, or when they had correction in relationships, or when they had something to say about what wasn't working, they withheld that and were unwilling to give that freely. And so they found themselves resentful and bitter in relationships rather than connected and intimate with one another. The fourth regret that people had was that they wished they would have been connected to community. At the end of the day, they spent their time and energy in a lot of different places, and at the end of the day, they realized people were most important, and they missed it. And then the last one that we talked about last week, which is actually my, the most fascinating to me, is they wish they would have allowed themselves to be more joyful. And joy is not oftentimes a thing that we talk about, something that we allow ourselves to experience. It's oftentimes an external reality that we sometimes experience and sometimes don't. And in this context, they said, I wish I would have just allowed myself to see the world through a new lens, that life wasn't actually as bad as I thought it was. How many of you go through things in life that feel overwhelming and it's very dramatic and it's very anxiety-ridden, and on the other side it was like, oh, that wasn't that bad, right? (laughs) If we only knew ahead of time that it wasn't that bad, (laughs) we might find ourselves in a different emotional place. 
But this is where people found themselves with this. And when I read these regrets, they resonated with me so much because I identified with so many of them and I also recognized them in so many different people that I worked with and and connected with and shared life with. And I love that they actually spoke to the core of what it means to be human. They, They inform us of what it looks like to be fully alive, to be authentic, to give ourselves fully to the value that's already there, to to share what's honestly happening for us, to, to give ourselves to community, to allow ourselves to live in joy. And because these speak to the core of what it means to be human, of course, the scriptures have a lot to say about them. See, if these flush up what it means to be human, it would make sense that the author of humanity would have a lot to say about these subjects. If this is what people at the end of the day were saying, man, I missed out on what it meant to be human, that God himself might be saying, hey, here's what you're up to. In fact, I find that it's interesting that all of the regrets that people had were spiritual. None of them had anything to do with with physical wealth. There wasn't a single regret actually on the list that I wish I would have made more money. No one regretted that. That there wasn't a single regret on the list that they didn't have enough recognition or prestige from people around them. There wasn't a single regret that said, hey, my political view wasn't accepted on Facebook. I mean, strangely enough, these things were not what people regretted at the end of the day. They all had to do with spirituality, their relationship to self, their relationship to God, and their relationship to other people. And this is where we find ourselves. All of these regrets had to do with what it meant to be spiritual in our spiritual journey that we are all on. And this spiritual journey that we're all on is, it's interesting on many levels because to be human is to be both spirit and flesh. We talk about that a lot at Humanity because it's a really important distinction to really grasp and understand. We have a a physical body that allows us to experience this life with five senses, that which we can touch and taste and smell and hear and feel. And then we have this spirit that allows us to experience life on a whole different level, what we can emotionally feel, the meaning that we make things, the the intention that we have. It's the invisible part that allows us to think and feel and, and make decisions about life around us. To be human is to be both simultaneously to be simultaneously all physical and to be simultaneously all spiritual in one little capsule all together. To be human is both. And God, when he designed this collaboration of the physical and the spiritual and called it human, he said that it was very good. This is what he said about who we are and this connection between one another. See, now here's the thing, is for many of us, we tend to focus on one or the other, and then we add weight to it. And when we do that, we get off balance and we find ourselves in really screwy places. Because if the spirit is more important than the body, we oftentimes end up misusing our bodies because they're not that important. Or we end up misusing the bodies of other people because it's just a body. And we find ourselves not recognizing that there's a real spirit, physical part of who we are. Likewise, if we find ourselves saying that what's most important is the spirit and everything else is irrelevant, or what's most important is the body and the spirit is irrelevant and really who we are at our core is physical, we end up with all kinds of emotional trauma and in places that are disturbing and we don't recognize that we find ourselves heart sick and that impacts actually what's going on at a physical level within us because they are intimately connected with one another. See, for many Christians, this conversation around what it means to be human, it's all about spirit. It really has nothing to do with anything else, and everything else is downplayed in this life here and now. 
What we find ourselves doing is what really matters is spirit, and so we downplay what's happening here and now in our physical bodies, and we talk about this life as something that we just have to struggle through or something that we just have to endure until we get to the end or something that we just have to fight through until we can finally rest in peace at the end of our days. There's this obsession with getting out from under this experience. And so we have this idea of predicting when the end is or waiting for when the end is or wanting the end to come. And we neglect that there is this physical reality here and now to this thing called life. There's this passage in Ecclesiastes that I read at almost every funeral that I do. And I think it actually speaks to this reality of what it means to be human and what it means to be fully alive. And it says this in Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 11. The most wise man who ever lived penned this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the heart of humanity. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. See, I I actually love this phrase that eternity is written on our hearts. See, every single one of us longs for something that lasts. We long for something that, that, that is more than just this temporary experience that is long, that is more than just, hey, this is the 80 years that we're given or the 70 years that we're given or the 60 years that we're given or the 15 years that we're given. We long for something that is eternal, that transcends beyond what we can see and feel and taste and smell. We intrinsically know, it was written on our hearts that we were made for something eternal as evidenced by the fact that none of us are actually okay with death. No one's actually like comfortable with this reality that, that one day this will end. However, Solomon says that doesn't necessarily negate our time here. That just because eternity is written on our hearts and that we were actually made for something eternal does not mean that we just like kick back through this life and then one day get to the prize and then we can really enjoy life and really celebrate and really find ourselves in a space of hope and freedom. See, it actually says that God is making all things beautiful in his time and that there's actually something to do here and now. He says, look, eternity is written in our hearts, but that man actually has a task while we are here, alive, present in this existence. See, if the only thing that God cared about was eternity after death, after life, why even put us here in the first place? Why have us go through this whole human experience that we struggle with of all the work and all of the eating and all of the play and all of the heartbreak and all of the betrayal and all of the human experience that here and now, why set up this human experience like a giant escape room trying to get out and trying to wait until the time runs out to finally end out of here, scratching at the walls to find ourselves here? So it would make sense that God, if he placed us here in this context, that he actually has a purpose for it that there's a reason why we're here. It's also interesting that like when people connect to Jesus, that he doesn't just beam them up into heaven, right? That would be one a little weird, but it'd be a great marketing strategy, right? I mean, could you imagine on Sunday mornings when it's like, hey, if anyone would like to connect to Jesus, you can just pray this prayer and you pray the prayer and as soon as I'm like, hold on just one second, because when we say amen, you're gonna be gone, right? And it's like, amen, 
all over the room. It'd be like, what just happened, right? <laughs> that would be crazy if all of a sudden our souls were transported up into eternity, but that's not what happens. Or, or maybe it is, and we're actually just not aware of it. Maybe that actually is what takes place when we connect to Jesus and our physical bodies just have not yet caught up to what's spiritually taking place inside of us. See, because when Jesus talks about life eternal, this is the way he explains it in John 17, verse three. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you. He's talking about God, his father, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, when, when Jesus talks about a life that lasts beyond death, he doesn't actually even mention death. He doesn't say, look, this is eternal life, that, that, that when you die, then you will live on forever and go to heaven. He actually says that life eternal, the definition of that is knowing Jesus and being connected to the Father. That that's what eternal living, life everlasting, something that is written on our hearts looks like here and now. See, the moment that your life connects to Jesus, your spirit is transformed instantly from temporary to eternal. The second that you decide that Jesus will be the person that follows you, that informs your life, that he will be the sole voice that directs and guides and moves your life, your soul is literally transformed alive. In that moment, and you begin this process known as eternal living. See, for those who are connected to Jesus Christ, we are already living in life eternal here and now. There is no waiting, there is no wishing, there is no hoping, it is here. You are in eternity here and now. And actually what Philippians tells us is that death is just trading one body for another. See, it's interesting that even when we go to heaven, we don't get rid of our body. Right? In, in Philippians, it actually says we will be transformed to this lowly body, to this glorious body. See, I've actually wondered if some Christians who are so desperate to get out of this experience called life, if when they get to heaven, they're going to be a little disappointed. Because they're going to be like, oh, th this, this feels a lot like that other experience, right? <laughs> Except... There's Jesus, and there's a lot more gold, and I see some people that I haven't seen in a while, and I have abs now. But other than that, it feels a lot like that other experience. See, because when I read the scriptures, it actually says, look, eternal life starts now, the moment that you connect to Jesus, and that when you die, you are just given a new body and a whole new experience in that. But it's actually just a continuation of the condition of your soul here and now. And this is what eternal living looks like. See, eternal life isn't a destination, it's a transformed spirit. And that's what this looks like. It starts the moment that you decide to follow him, that your soul is alive. So what does all this have to do with regrets? And what does this have to do with what it looks like to live a life that is free from them? See, the fact that our spirit, which is eternal, has regrets about this life, which is temporary, actually lets me know that there is purpose for this life here and now. See, because no one got to the end of their life and was looking towards eternity and looked back on their life and said, oh well, mess some things up, do over, right? No one actually said that. They looked back at this life that is temporary and they're like, man, I, I, I screwed up a lot of things. 
I messed up a lot of things. There was a lot of things that I would have done different. And the fact that we even have regrets lets me know that there is perfect, there, there is purpose for this life here and now. Otherwise, we would have no regrets. When, when Paul wrote letters to the Corinthians, he oftentimes had to use some really harsh language because Corinth was kind of like a crazy city, right? When you, when you, when you look at what Corinth was and, and what they were up to, it was basically like a city that was wild. I mean, they were, they were I mean, it was like the, the sex capital of the world. It was, there was like slavery and prostitution. There was crazy spiritual expressions. There was culture clashings that they were taking place. There was rebellion all over the place. And Paul's like, hey, I need to write a few things to you because things are going a little crazy over there. You need to tone it down, right? And he uses some pretty harsh language with them over the pen that he writes to them in his letters. And he had some pretty strong words on how they were to live and not live. And they got a little upset with some of those letters, as you could imagine. They were hurt by the things that Paul said because in his correction, it hurt. And then he writes this to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Paul was pretty bad, right? He was just like, yeah, sorry, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For, your, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by, in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proven yourselves to be innocent in this matter. See, Paul actually says, look, I have no regrets on what I said to you because they needed to be said, because he said, I, I knew I had to hurt you in a, for that moment because the sorrow that the word of God produces actually leads to something really beautiful. And so I'm willing to allow you to be sorrowful for a moment so that you can experience the life that you were designed to live. You ever have someone in your life who just tells you the truth and when they tell you the truth, it hurts? You know what I'm talking about? Like those people in your life that, that they are willing to bring sorrow to your life for a season so that you can actually lean into the life that you were made for. I remember about 12 years ago when I first started coaching, I was working with a very close friend of mine who is someone who cares enough to say things that hurt, to say the things that bring sorrow on my life. And I remember I was, I was early in my coaching practice and just learning how to be with people. And we were in this large group setting and she could tell that I was really on it with this one person. We just weren't connecting, we weren't clicking. And, and at the end of the session, when everything was done and we were giving feedback, they looked at me and they said, you are so contemptuous, Nathan. And I didn't know what that word meant, so I asked them. And they said, you, just, you look down on people. And I thought, oh, okay. And I said, I, don't, I can't see that, but I could thank you for your feedback. I'm like, no, no, no. Please explain to me your internal conversation about this person over here. Just say it out loud, all the things that are in your head. 
And I start out with like all the easy things, you know, like, well, you know, like they weren't getting it and I felt like they were taking the easy road out and they kept pressing me, no, what else, what else, what else? And as I was saying thing out of my mouth said, they really don't have any value to me or anyone else on this planet. Mm. You ever have something come out of your mouth and you're instantly like, please, please take it back, right? And this friend just said, there it is. And I remember in that moment, this, this pain in my stomach that just hurt so bad because I saw, I saw the contempt for the first time. And it hurt because I was able to see it. It hurt because they pointed it out. It hurt because it was so right there in my face and it hurt for probably weeks to come. In fact, when I still talk about that moment, I get this like knot in my stomach because of the reality of that moment because that moment produced this deep, deep sorrow in me. Not, I wasn't just sorry about what I had said. There was this sorrow for how I had been living with people. There was this sorrow for my character. There was this sorrow for how I had been with the people that I love. And I was able to see it across the board. And that sorrow was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. That, that those words, that wounding, that hurt in that moment was so painful, and yet it was the thing that was absolutely needed to transform my life in that moment. And that's what Paul is talking about here. See, there is a sorrow that comes with authentically following Jesus and being connected to the voice of God. See, because there's actually a sorrow in restraining our natural inclinations of things to do, that we, things that we want to do, of things that we want to say, of things that we want to engage in, of things that we want to make us feel better. There's a sorrow in saying, I choose to restrain myself because this is how Jesus has called me to live in the middle of theirs. There's, there's a sorrow in sacrificing deeply for community. Let me just tell you, every time Marla and I write our tithe check every month, there is a sorrow in handing that over. Let me just tell you, because I think of all the things that we could be buying and all the things that we could be paying off and all the things that we could be doing, there is a sorrow in saying, I am sacrificing this for the sake of our community over there. There is a sorrow in forging moment or forgetting momentary pleasure for the sake of eternal gain. There is this sorrow that comes with it. And Paul says that this type of sorrow from God, when you're willing to go through and engage that type of sorrow, what it will leave you with in the end is no regrets. He says that when you actually start living this way and you start engaging this godly sorrow in life, you will actually find yourself at the end of your days free from the regrets of life that so many people live because God is in the process of refining us in that sorrow here in this life. That this is what transforms our life. It transforms how we invest our lives because we are connected to the purposes and the plans and the movement of the creator of the universe. And of course, there are moments where it feels awkward and it brings sorrow and it brings pain and it brings correction, but at the end of the day, it moves us to a life that is free from regrets. See, and I love what it says this type of sorrow actually produced in the Corinthians when they were willing to be led by this, when they were willing to have their life informed by this. Because it actually says, Paul looks at them and he says, man, you have taken this sorrow and you've run with it. You've been willing to submit yourself to this. You've been willing to live under this standard. You've been willing to live under this correction. And he says, man, look at what has happened to you. 
He, he actually describes it. He says, look, there is a gravity to your life that was not there before. You're no longer just living life flippantly, but there is a weight and a gravity to your life. He says, look at you. You have such clarity about your purpose and about who you are and what you're called to do and what you're called to give yourself to. He says, look, there is this indignation inside of you for what is wrong and what is broken and what is hurting people around you. There is this indignation against those things. There is an alarm within you. There is an urgency that recognizes that this life is short and that you don't have a lot of time. So live your life well here and now. There is a longing and a concern for others, and there is a readiness for justice here and now. And he says, look, all of this, this new way of living is produced because you were willing to engage the sorrow of God. And when you find yourself here with this level of clarity, with this level of weight, with this level of awareness, with this level of alarm, with this level of readiness for judgment, at the end of your days, you will say, I have no regrets because I have followed the principles that God has set before me. See, I love it that, that this woke them up out of living on autopilot. This woke them up out of simply sleeping through life. This is what God is longing to produce in us. And that at the end of the days, we can look back and say, I have no regrets. But then he, he contrasts it to this other sorrow he says, look, the sorrows of God leads to a life of no regrets. But then he says, the sorrows of this world produce death. So here's the thing. All of these five regrets are really just connected to moments where people fell into the traps of the sorrows of this world. Where they found themselves leaning down into those places. See, because when they looked out at life and said, you know what, God is calling me to live an authentic life and there is a sorrow that comes with giving up all kinds of things to live that, they said, you know what, I'd rather just choose to be inauthentic. I'd rather choose to please people and to do what everyone else around me is doing and they found themselves in the sorrows of this world and it eventually led to death. When it was their time to own the value that God had placed on them and to start fully living with the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God had placed inside of them, they said, yeah, that's too much work. So I'd rather work for my value. And there's a sorrow of that that led to death. When people found themselves in a space where it was, it was time to share honestly and vulnerable and be in community and be connected with one another and to give their life away, they said, yeah, that's gonna be too awkward and uncomfortable and familiar. And I would rather choose the smaller life and live in the sorrow that comes with that. When it was time to choose joy, they rather would actually choose despair because it was more familiar. They didn't have to change. And so they said, I'd rather have the sorrows of this world rather than stepping into the sorrow of God, which leads to a life of no regrets. And so all of these regrets are really people looking back at moments in life when they chose the sorrows of this world rather than the sorrows of God. See, what Paul is actually informing us here is that you don't actually get out of sorrow in life. You just get to pick your sorrow. You get to pick the sorrow of God, which leads to a life that is free from regrets, that awakens you to life, that gives you some gravity and alarm and urgency and that calls you to justice. 
Or you can choose the sorrows of this world, which will eventually lead to a smaller life, a more anxious life, a more depressed life, and a life that will eventually be defined as dead. And the choice is up to you. Option one, the lasting sorrows of this world that leads to death. Or option two, the lasting sorrows of God, which will lead to a rush for clarity and justice that ultimately leaves you without regrets And that's the type of life you were actually made for. See, I love that at the end of Paul's life, this is what he writes. In 2 Timothy 4, chapter 6 through 8, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have eagerly longed for his appearing. See, when, when I love that. When Paul gets to the end of his life, here he is like an old man. He gets to the end of his life, and he's not like, well, it's over, glad that's done. Right? He's not like, oh, finally, I have endured this thing. I am, I am glad that I can finally get out of here. I can move on to heaven. There is certainly a longing for that in his conversation. But he says these three things. He says, look, at the end of my days, I have fought the good fight. And I have allowed myself to struggle for the good of humanity. I have allowed myself to connect to God and given myself to his purposes. And so I have fought hard for every single bit of that. He says, look, I have finished the race. I can say that I'm done. I have given myself to every relationship. I have given myself to every task. I have given myself to every purpose that is in front of me. And I endured through the suffering. It is finished. See, there wasn't areas where he was like, I mostly finished, kind of complete here and there. He's like, look, I've finished the race. I have completed everything in front of me. And then he finishes with, I have kept the faith. I didn't stop wondering if God was gonna move. I didn't lose my sense of wonder about what's happening and what's possible. I didn't allow cynicism to overtake me. I didn't allow like the doubt to become what defined me, but I used that to move me forward. And so I have fought a good fight. I have finished my race and I have kept the faith. In other words, what Paul says at the end of his days, he said, I left nothing on the table. I just gave myself fully to everything in front of me and I suffered. And at the end of my days, I know that the reward that is coming is awesome. But I think if Paul was talking here, he would just say, look, it's just a, continue of, it's just a continuation of the eternal life that I am already living. That's already caused me to fight and endure and to keep the faith here in the middle of this. See, if you want a cure for a mundane, anxiety-ridden, depressed life, if you, wanna, if you want a relief from a purposeless existence, a life that at the end of your days will be filled with regrets, a life that will be riddled with I wish I would have on the end of your days, start fighting the fight that you were made for. Start giving yourself to the assignment that is on your life. Stop sitting around and waiting for things to end or for things that you have to endure or when things will finally come to pass. Start fighting now because God has called you to it. And let me just tell you, he has not called you just to fight for you. He has called you into a fight for your life and for the lives of every single person around you. 
That's, that's, why do you think he would give us the years on this planet and then put us together in community? Not so that we could all just be on our own individual fights, but that we could fight for ourselves and fight for one another in a way that produced life and that we might endure, that we might keep going with all of the strength of God in front of us. See, you are never, ever alone in your fight. And this is what allowed Paul to keep moving forward and say, I have finished my race. If you think you're finishing this race on your own, you have something else coming for you. So not only are we to fight the assignment that is in front of us, but we are to endure with all of the support of God himself and the people around us that he has placed in our lives. And finally, you are to keep the faith. I know there are all kinds of excuses as to why you should be cynical and bitter. In fact, even in this conversation, I'm sure that there is a voice informing you of all of the but ifs, or but why, or no, you don't understand. Here's why I can't fight. Here's why I can't keep enduring. I've endured for so long. See, it doesn't matter. It just says keep the faith. Keep going. Fight against the cynicism until you actually find the Spirit of God moving through it, knowing that all things are being made new and that he is making all things beautiful in his time. See, I am actually so tired about this conversation of spirituality being about white knuckling it through this life. I am so tired about it being about how soon can we get out of here when we are called to fully live this one glorious life that we are given before we translate into the next. See, we are given one moment, one opportunity, one chance to give ourselves fully to the transformation of the world around us and the people in our lives because followers of Jesus should be marked as passionate lovers of life, fully fighting, fully enduring, fully keeping the faith, because we are those who are living an eternal life now. Now here's the thing, some of you may already look back on your life and say it's too late. It's too late. You don't know how much I've screwed up. You don't know how many decisions I've made. You don't know how many things that I have engaged or done. My life is already going to be a regret. I have good news for you this morning. The scriptures say this about that in Deuteronomy 30. It says, and when you and your children return to the Lord, your God, and obey him with all your heart and with your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord, your God, will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belongs to your ancestors and will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. See, all of those areas in your life that feel like they're flooded with shame, like it's too late, like you will always look back on your life and say, this is the biggest regret that I have and there's no way to undo it because it's already so done. The scriptures say, look, it's really clear, just return to the Lord. Just hand it over to them. And he says, he will restore everything that has been lost. And he actually says, you will be actually more prosperous than anyone that has come before you. If you are just willing to return to him, he will restore everything. See, that area that was your darkest mark in life will become your brightest light. 
That area in your life that was, that was so filled with shame will actually become a beacon, like a lighthouse of hope for other people because only an addict who has found wholeness can speak to other addicts who are lost out there. Only someone who is forgiven can speak to those who are locked in bitterness. Only those who have been healed can truly speak to those who need healing. Only those who have received grace can fully extend it out to the world around them. And everything will be restored to you. This is the great hope that we have. See, what were once destined to be your greatest regrets at the end of your days will become your greatest gift to the world. It will become the greatest engagement that you will have with other people when it is turned over to Jesus. And he invites us to start reverse engineering our lives now because it's already been paid for because we are those who are already living an eternal life right here and right now. And we are those who choose to live in the fullness of life because we have a God who has gone before us and already paid for us to fully live and to live a life that is free from regret. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for just the fullness of life here and now that you've called us into. God, forgive us for those moments where we have wanted to give up or we have said, I'd rather wait until or that it's not my time or I'm not the one, God. God, I pray that there would just be an urgency in us. As you said to the Corinthians, God, about what was called out of them, I pray that you would create in us a gravity around life, a clarity around our purpose and our assignment, an indignation, an alarm, a longing, a concern for the brokenness that we see around us and a readiness for justice, God. That we would be those who are passionately pursuing life because we have already been made alive. And this morning, if you're here or if you're watching online and you have not yet connected to Jesus, this is your moment because it is only through him that you can find life, I promise you. I wish I just had like better words for that, but I, the only thing I know to say is that Jesus will bring you fully alive and that he will move your soul into the eternal living right here and right now. He will take all of the things from your past that were set up for regrets and will transform them into your greatest gift to the world around you. And so if you're online, you can just click that button right now that says, today I make a decision to follow Jesus. If you're here and you're like, I'm ready to follow Jesus, there's things from my past that I'm ready to be transformed. Maybe you haven't, maybe you connected with him a long time ago and you're ready to connect to him now again because you recognize that your life is moving towards regret. If that's you and you're like, hey, I'm ready to connect to Jesus and find life, would you just raise your hand? No one else looking around? Awesome. I want you just to pray this prayer with me, whether you're online or here, just pray, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I am broken. And I know that you came and you died for me. And you came back to life so that I could fully live. And so today I choose you. I make you Lord of my life so that I might live right now fully alive. I thank you for who you are 
and the beautiful life that you've called me into. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience, and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.